Hello and welcome back, everyone. Uh, of course, if you are a returning listener, and welcome if you are a new listener for the first time. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We're downtown in Salem, Oregon, in studio today. As always, I'm very happy to be here. Look forward to introducing our guest, who I'm going to get to shortly and get her on the line. She's going to join us via Zoom today. But first, I just want to give a brief overview of what it is that we're doing for any of you new listeners. Uh, the Rooted Leadership Podcast is connected to our Leadership Institute, which is home to Salem, called Groundwork. And our goal is to be a catalyst for transformational change. And we believe that we can do that through raising the tide of leadership. Well, that's one of the key elements. And we want to learn as much as we can about leadership and share that information and knowledge. So we started a podcast and it's been amazing ever since. We have incredible guests and thousands of people downloading and listening to us. So thank you and welcome to that, that uh, community of listeners to our show. And with that, I'm going to introduce our guest briefly. Uh, and actually, you know, I knew her when she lived in our community. Her name is Zianja. And she uh, was a very unique name uh, for a title, a lightning rod for one of our nonprofits here. What that means is she was a community connector, really important uh, role that she had here in Salem uh, for the Salem Leadership Foundation here. And she's now moved on. She lives, I believe, in San Diego. And so I'm actually really curious about what she does there. And so we're going to learn about that. But I also want her to share what she learned here um, being a lightning rod in the community, the, the significance and symbolism behind that. And we're going to learn a little bit more, you know, about how she sees leadership and some other topics that we'll dive into. But with that, let me get her on the line and we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. All right, we're back, uh, and we have our guest on Zoom with us. Uh, Z, I mentioned, you know, her name is Zianja, but I always have called her Z, so I'll probably just call you Z today. I, I know you're totally I know you're okay with that, but but yes. go ahead and say say hello to any listeners that we, you know, that are, that are tuning in today. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, hi. Um, like Chris said, I'm Zianja or Z, either one's fine. Um Salem native, but I will get into this later, I'm sure, but I'm in San Diego right now. Yeah, so uh, we love asking guests, you know, to introduce themselves, but in response to the questions of, tell us who you are and what you do. You know, mm-hmm. there's two different things, but who who are you, what you do? You, you started native to Salem, but keep, keep, keep telling us. I mean, who are you? All right, so yeah, native to Salem, um, big into the community development sphere. So when I was in Salem, I was working for the Salem Leadership Foundation um, as the East Salem Lightning Rod. And then um, a little bit, I got to move into the youth development director role before I moved to San Diego. Um, And now I'm working at a high school here in San Diego, um, where I work um, kind of as a community development liaison. Um, I help the, the local community kind of integrate into the high school. Um, it's a high school, it's a title one high school, um, high, um, Hispanic population and, um, a lot of first gen families that because of our proximity to the border, um, we have a lot of families that come from Mexico and sometimes just the students come from Mexico and it's a huge culture shock, um, as not only living in the United States, but also navigating the school culture, um, navigating going like moving into college, um, scholarships, tests, summer school, even I got to participate in summer school, um, this summer when I moved and, and just kind of seeing that transition, getting people registered for school. It's, it's a whole new world for a lot of these families. Um, and so I'm there to help build these relationships and make sure that they have, um, you know, smooth and seamless transitions. And that if there's anything that they need at home to be successful in school, that we can provide them with either the resources or the education that they need to, you know, be best equipped for success. Yeah, no, that's, that's exciting. And there's lots, there's a lot, um, packed in there. Um, but I want to, I want to, uh, you know, I'll forecast for, for listeners for the show today. We, I really want to dive into building relationships with, with Z because as you can tell from just her explaining her, 
her her job now, a lot of it is building relationships. But I I want to go back to what you were doing here. You know, when you uh, I forgot to mention in the intro, you know, kind of the new ro- role you took on when you were with SLF yeah. Salem Leadership Foundation right before you you left. So I I just I spoke to how you were lightning rod, and I briefly explained what mm-hmm. that is. But that's just such an intriguing title. So tell us what yes. a lightning rod is. What it what it was that you did here, and why you know the significance of a lightning rod there. Yeah, absolutely. So lightning rod is not a very conventional title, but it was <laughs> it was actually on our business cards. It's on our website. Um, but basically, a lightning rod is someone that builds relationships within their community. So the Salem Leadership Foundation divides their community by high school feeder areas. Um, So I was the McKay or East Salem lightning rod, which meant that I lived, worked and worshiped in the McKay area. Um, And so I just really got to know people in the McKay area, leaders in the McKay area, um, students, families, really anyone that there is to know in McKay. Um, And I I helped kind of, you know, build those relationships, um, not just with myself, but within the community, too. Um, I think Salem Leadership kind of prides itself on being able to form relationships or or build bridges is what we like to say um, between groups of people that might not have ever interacted before. Um, So sometimes the lightning rod just kind of serves as the middleman and then steps out of the equation. And of course, you know, we're always there, um, but it's not always that I'm building relationships with people. It's I'm helping other people build relationships with each other as well. Um, So a lot of success has come from from things like that, where, you know, there's that kind of initial spark um, that the, the, the lightning rod creates. And I think that's kind of where the lightning rod idea came from is, you know, it, it's a point that, that hits and then it causes a lot of reaction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I got to do as a lightning rod. We have lightning rods all over um town, at least Salem Leadership Foundation does, I guess. It's hard for me to separate myself from <laughs> SLF part because of who you I are. love it and it is definitely part of who I am. Um, but yeah, that's that's what a lightning rod is. Well, I always thought that the title lightning rod made it sound like you were a superhero. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. uh, so, you know, I want to come back to the, the idea of, of lightning rod, especially, you know, you said and as it relates to building relationships, because you said we live, work, and worship in those areas, which I think is a key piece to building relationships in at a community level. But a little bit more about you. I mean, what's your, you know, what tell us about your background, education-wise. I know that you traveled a lot. I mean, what got you, what got you here? Because I remember once you said when you were introducing yourself at some setting, because we, I, I, I feel like we often found ourselves in similar settings. But you're introducing mm-hmm. yourself, and you said you always wanted to travel and, and kind of go all over and explore. And I know you did to some degree, but you always found it kind of ironic that you ended up back where you started yes. <laughs> kind of at this grassroots level. But when you mm-hmm. say that, I always felt that there was this, you know, true sort of connection and, and love for building relationships at a community level, even though that there's a great big world out there, we need to be building yes. relationships at our community level. So I'm rambling, mm-hmm. but go ahead. And I mean, please tell us about more about who you are, your background. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you might have heard that at one of the fancy desserts um, when I, I spoke kind of about, you know, how I came to Salem. And the, the my famous last words were that I was never going to come back to Salem and I was never going to live in Salem once I graduated from high school. Um, and well, up until a couple months ago, I was living and working in Salem. Um, so my uh, education. So I went to school in Eugene. I went to U of O. Um, go Ducks. And I, I actually didn't know what I wanted to study um, when I went there. I just knew because from a young age, my family always traveled. Um, we spent a lot of time in Mexico on mission trips with my church. Um, and I just I always felt very happy on those mission trips. I loved I'm not a morning person, but when I was there, I loved waking up at five in the morning. Um, from a young age, I was always kind of called on as a translator because I could speak Spanish. Um, I just I loved interacting with the kids and the families and giving back and and not feeling like I was better than them, but really kind of building those relationships and showing them that, you know, we're all kind of the same and they helped us and we helped them. And it was yeah. it was just a really magical time. And so I think from that young age, I really enjoyed 
the idea of um, kind of like nonprofit work and and giving back and community development, even though I didn't know that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to school. I thought I was going to be a business major because I was like, well, that makes the most sense, even though I have no interest <laughs> in business. Um, but that's when I discovered international development. Um, so that's what I got my undergrad in. That's what allowed me to travel a lot. Um, I, I lived in Argentina for a while. I lived in Mexico. I lived in France for a while. Um, and then I went to grad school, same idea, um, international development, because at this point I figured out that I wanted to work for the UN. Um, it just seemed like this great organization that was going to take me all over and I was going to get to do the kind of work that I wanted to do, which was, um, you know, just helping communities that are struggling a little bit be the best version of themselves. Um, so in grad school, I specifically chose the grad school that I went to because it had a pretty clear track to the UN. Um, and it was there that I realized that a lot of my passion for community development work and a lot of my passion for you know giving back and, and building those relationships came from places that I felt really connected to. You know, I, I am part Mexican, so I felt very connected when I was in Mexico to my culture, to my language. Um, but when I was doing a lot of the stuff that I was doing abroad, I loved it. I love traveling. It's maybe my number one passion, um, but it didn't feel quite as fulfilling. And I think that's when I started to realize that I'd been really fighting the idea of moving back home because it wasn't as glamorous as, you know, like mm. I don't living in in third world countries or living in war-torn countries, which I guess that's not super glamorous, but that was kind of what I thought was what I needed to do or wanted to do. Um, And then I started to realize, well, actually, I feel really connected to my community back home. And that's when I decided that maybe moving back to Salem was, in fact, what all of this was preparing me for. Um, And ultimately, it was. So that's kind of my my roundabout journey to getting back to Salem. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I, I resonate with it as well. You know, I, I studied peace building and conflict resolution, conflict transformation and undergrad and graduate. And my, my mentor in Chad Ford, um, you know, I think you were able to meet him when he came out and presented, mm-hmm. you know, to the group, yes. but he's been all over. And I mean, he was, you know, he's who I learned from kind of learned at his feet and traveled all over the world mediated disputes. And we've had him on the show a couple times, you know, in the West Bank with people we would call terrorists. I mean, the guy has been everywhere and he's been in such high conflict scenarios. Like that's what I learned from. So I thought that's what I'm going to do, you know? Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, and so I tried to, you know, develop the skill sets and everything to, to do all of that, you know, but through various events, which I don't have the time to explain, I came to a realization that everywhere you go, in your own family, in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, there's conflict and there's disconnect. Obviously now in our country and, and, and communities, probably more than in, in recent years that it's surfaced and is front page, but everywhere you go, there's, there's conflict. Every organization you're part of, there's conflict. Every community, there's conflict. Yeah. Every family, there's conflict. And so peace is, is needed everywhere. And I have a belief that peace is possible, but it starts the ground level in the neighborhoods mm-hmm. where we're at. Um, and it starts with with people. It starts with leaders being the first to change. And so I, I had sort of these these realizations. And fortunately, I was able to meet people, you know, like Mountain West and, and, and the individuals I work for now to, you know, that share similar sort of vision to, that's brought me here. And I'm really thankful for it. But I resonate with your story in that I saw kind of uh, you know, it's not, not glam, you know, you said glamorous isn't the right word, but it's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and do that. Those, those things. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's really motivating, especially for, you know, young, young people coming out and having a skill set and wanting to contribute. Um, but I, similar to you realized that well, slow down, Chris, there's a lot for you to <laughs> learn, Chris, and, uh, and start where you're at. And, yeah. uh, so I love I love that story. So I appreciate you sharing that, yeah. um, and and your background there. So uh, I, I I don't want to skip a beat. I want to get back to where we were at with this idea of building relationships yes. and something that you said, which I mentioned earlier, that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. You know, with SLF Salem Leadership Foundation as a lightning rod, it's important that as a lightning rod, you live, work, and worship 
kind of in your zone, right? And Salem, mm-hmm. Salem's not massive, but it's not teeny, right? I mean, what is it? 200-something right. right. thousand people. There's seven high schools, I believe. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so you're, you're in a part of, the, of town, uh, and it's not like it's a small part of town. And, right. and tell us about this, the idea of live, work, and worship in that area oh. and the significance you see in that in building better relationships whether, versus if I were assigned that area and I don't live, work, and worship there. Does that make right. sense? Tell us about that. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that it, it just creates um, this sense of ownership almost over the area. And so in that way, you're able to really dive in, get invested, um, you know, for the most part, unless you have really specific places that you like to go. I mean, I just go to like coffee shops or the grocery store, not too far from my home. Um, you know, so, so that idea of like, I might actually run into a McKay student while I'm at Maravillas, or I might, you know, run into, um, I don't know, one of the teachers that I've gotten to know, or, um, just anybody else that I might interact with in my own neighborhood. Um, I might see them at at church on Sunday, Mm -hmm. or I might see them walking their dog down the street. Um, so it is that idea that not only do we work in a certain area, but because we live and do our daily lives and all that kind of stuff, um, we just get to know people on a deeper level and on a level that's outside of the workplace. Um, and I think that really helps in building relationships because it's, it's not as formal. It's not as, um, you know, it's not as, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say? Um, it's more personal. That's what I'm trying to get at. Um, so I think that that idea of living, working and worshiping in the same area is crucial to building strong relationships. Yeah. I mean, especially in, in someone uh, that's in a role like, like you were in and, and, and that you're in now. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's some real food for thought for people because building relationships is something that I think a lot of us think about. Uh, and depending on the sector or organization that we're a part of, we may or may not be able to live and work and worship in those areas. Right. But there's something to be said about that. Right. Um, Even if I don't live, work and worship in an area of people that I need to build a relationship with and I'm not in community development, there's an element there that you highlighted that I think is really important. And our, our, you know, if you remember our our framework, our rooted framework speaks to it. And you said it needs to be it's more personal. Right. It's more real. It's more authentic. And you also mentioned the word ownership. Right. You have ownership when you're Mm -hmm. there. And when you said ownership, I thought of the term responsibility. And I, yeah. I, if you if you can talk, speak a little bit to, you know, the responsibility that we might have towards people when it comes to building mm-hmm. relationships, because I, I feel like there's a difference when we build a relationship with someone, we don't feel any sort of sense of responsibility with them. The relationship mm-hmm. isn't isn't real. It's not authentic. It's not it's not personal. But when we feel a sense of responsibility to them, I think it deepens it. And our when we Absolutely. talk, yeah, when we talk about soil in our framework, if you remember, when we talk about accountability, the way we define accountability is is feeling and being respond like a feeling and being responsible to others and how we see them and treat them, you know. And and I think that's so important to be accountable towards something like that. So, mm-hmm. it, what I mean, speak to that a little bit if you can. Yeah, definitely. So I think that feeling of responsibility that you mentioned is huge in like actually creating change. Um, you know, I think relationships for the sake of relationships are great. And I think it's beautiful. But when you also have that sense of responsibility towards this other person's, whether it like the well-being or their happiness or their success, then, you know, that kind of also then becomes yours. And although I like to think that we're all great, unselfish people, Sometimes at the root, you know, we can be a little bit selfish. And so if I know that, you know, my success in some way hinges on this other person's success or my happiness in some way hinges on this other person, then I don't want us to make it sound like everything that I do is selfish. Um, But I do think that it kind of like when we start to see other people as our, you know, like as ourselves and kind of going back into some of that groundwork language or the outward mindset language of like seeing people as people and and having their needs matter as much as ours and vice versa, um, then it really kind of becomes like, oh, I want to help this person or I want to get to know this person or I want to, um, you know, see this person thrive. Um, 
And so I think that responsibility, that sense of responsibility for them is rather than an I'm up here, you know, I'm on top and they're on the bottom and I have to help them. It's it's more of a, a we, as Sam likes to say, you know, it's mm-hmm. not an us and them. It's a we thing um, because you are taking responsibility for something that may or may not ever even come back to you, something that you may or may not ever even get credit for, you know, insert the blank. But um and somebody else is 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 going to benefit from that. And I think that that's where that sense of responsibility can be so important in in relationships and in making change and in creating a sense of community among people, among an actual neighborhood or among a school um, that that I think is really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I when you brought up change, I wrote that down just in my notes here because you know, this, as you said, the sake of building a relationship for the sake of building a relationship is wonderful and beautiful in its own right, but it's, I mean, it's towards change, right, for the better, yeah. um, to transformation, right, which is a great way to define um, uh, change for the better is, is transformation and, and to to create those opportunities. You know, I think the the building of relationships is so important, but the right sort of relationships, it's the one that comes with responsibility. You know, if you rem- mm. if you remember in the framework, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately as we're revising a lot of our curriculum. But, uh, you know, we talk about we talk about seeing people, which you, you mentioned in, in the Rooted Framework and Outward Mindset and Arbinger get at that as well. But both our framework and Arbinger's framework stem from the same body of work, which I, th- I believe probably one of the best philosophers or thinkers out there to put a language to it is Martin Buber when he talks about I it and I thou. Do you remember that? And yes. and what I love about I it I thou is he he actually talks about it in terms of relationships. So you know he he mm-hmm. doesn't he doesn't so much say that it's the way we see others. He said we're always in relationship to others, and we're either yes. in a relationship with them in an I it way, or we're in a relationship mm-hmm. in an I thou way. But either way, we're in a relationship. One's just an I mm-hmm. it inauthentic, not real relationship where we. We're together still because we're connected. We can't escape that. But we're together in a separate kind of a way. And then we're right. an I-thou way when, we, when others are thous to us and it's an I-thou relationship. We're together in, an, in a together kind of way where we actually embrace it. And, and so talk to us a little bit about that, that nuance, that the, b- building relationships, what, what it truly means versus we're already in a relationship with people. That relationship mm-hmm. might be a really bad one and it might not seem like there's one at all but my my avoidance of people in my community or people that I work with or my my objectification of them right although I'm not best mm-hmm. friends with them and take going out for drinks etc I'm still in a relationship with them but it's an oh. I it one it's a toxic one right it's one that isn't responsible oh. it one it's one that's not leading to change for the better so I'm going to stop there and let you respond. But okay. <laughs> I think that's I think that's an important piece to building relationships, and I think you probably experience it firsthand. I'm talking theory here, but you're you're on the ground actually doing the work. Yeah, absolutely. So I think maybe this relates to it. Maybe it doesn't. So you can stop me if it doesn't, or steer me in a different direction. <laughs> no, but this is where my mind went when you were kind of talking about this nuance between I it and I thou is that. Um, So at the school that I work at now in San Diego, um, we have a lot of moms that come in and are trying to register their student or they have questions about why their kid is in summer school when, you know, all along they thought their kid was doing great in school um, or just they come in with a whole bunch of questions, mostly because there's a language barrier. Mm-hmm. And um, and because their kids just don't necessarily communicate with them, which I mean, as a 16 year old, I remember I wasn't the most communicative either. <laughs> so I understand their position. Um, and, and, you know, there are two different ways of approaching the situation um, that I was able to kind of witness firsthand. And when I took this position, I was kind of informed that there is a bit of a, um, a, a fracture in the in the relationship between the school and the community. Um, I, ha- I haven't been given too many details as to why there is this kind of disconnect between our school and our community. Um, and without going into too many details, I don't know how many people that are listening would even know who I'm talking about or what, but I, can, I started to see that, that break in the relationship, just my first couple of weeks there. 
Um, and it all stemmed from the way that I felt these moms were being treated. Um, and it was that idea of like, whether or not the school staff and the parents know it, they're in a relationship because yeah. their kid goes to that school and, mm-hmm. and the school staff is responsible for their that mom's child. So they're in that relationship and, you know, they're getting to choose. Is it going to be an I it or an I thou relationship yeah. right now? It's wholeheartedly I it. There is no relationship there. There's no real sense of I want to help this mom understand it's a lot of like, well, your kid should have understood or you should have done this. You should have done that instead of really kind of just even sitting down and getting to the root of, you know, why do you have questions? What is your question? Like I, sometimes they don't even get asked, what is your question? It's just talk to your kid or look online. And we all know that looking online and going to the school website <laughs> is not productive. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what school website ever has been a great source of information. Um, and so I started to see that. And even though I don't have a lot of, um, like institutional knowledge when it comes to the school, I decided that I was going to start welcoming the parents in because the way that my desk is set up, I'm kind of the second line of defense, if you Uh will. Um, we have somebody that she's not necessarily a receptionist. Um, her desk is just closer to the front door. Um, and so you know, most of the time these parents are not greeted with a very warm welcome. Um, so instead I just decided that whenever I saw a parent come in, I was going to stand up and talk to them. And if I needed to find somebody else that had the right answer, because at that point I had no answers at all, then I would do that. But I mean, instantly you could see the difference in, um, in attitude. You can see the difference in demeanor when the parents come in and talk to someone that really doesn't care why they're there versus someone that might not have any of the answers, but cares that they're there. Um, and so, you know, I feel like that was one of the things that, that I was able to take away from yeah. a lot of my training and in, in groundwork and through Salem leadership foundation. And even through, um, Arbinger's outward mindset is that, you know, we just need to see people uh-huh. and, I didn't have any of the answers, but I knew that somebody out there would. And all these moms needed was somebody to see them, see their struggle and help them find the answer. They didn't care that they had to wait an extra half an hour because I was trying to locate the right person or I was trying to, you know, get the right answer. They cared that somebody saw them. They cared that somebody cared about them and treated them with respect. You know, sometimes language barriers are are treated with indifference or they're treated with like, well, then you obviously don't know what I'm saying or you don't know what you're doing. But it, and, and to an extent it is it's that they don't, they don't understand. And so um, helping them understand or talking to them in a way that they understand just completely changes the relationship. Um, so hopefully that'll be a step in the right direction for this school and this community that clearly is lacking um, that, that community, that sense of community and that, that um like relationship building yeah and and, i mean part of one of the steps in 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 realizing that we that we need change is realizing that we need change and that the way (laughs) and that the way of do it doing things now isn't working it's not yielding great fruit or results right we say as we say fruit in our in our framework and and that's a key step right it's important to know that what's happening isn't working we need to do something different And I, I love that we're kind of peeling back the layers of building relationships here because it can seem like a pretty generic term. I mean, I, it's one of those terms that's used interchangeably and just kind of thrown out there often, mm-hmm. you know, like build relationships. Like it's a common thing that most people think about as a generally good thing to do. There's really no arguments. Yeah. You know, sometimes people push back on time. I don't have time to build relationships. You know, So people attach time to right. it, which is a whole other nuance to all other conversations yeah right like does like you know the idea of time as it relates maybe we can get into that but but the idea in general of building relationships can be pretty generic and i like that we're peeling back layers and i like that you shared this example because what i was thinking of is when we're when we're talking about i it i thou you know mm-hmm. visually you know obviously this is a podcast but any listeners you know when it's written out it's written out like this, I hyphen it and I hyphen thou. So there's this hyphen in between that connect the two. And so when mm-hmm. I say together in a separate sort of a way versus together in a together sort of a way, togethers in both of those ways of being right. 
and relationships because we're still connected. So even when I'm in an ayat relationship, I'm still in relationship, right? I might be mm-hmm. resisting, and I love that word of, it's a, it's a way of being in relationship where we resist that we're actually connected, you know? And yes. so we're connected to everyone, whether we like it or not. So whether, when somebody walks into a room, in this case, a parent walks into an office, mm-hmm. we're, uh, we're in relationship with them, whether we like it or not. And then we choose, regardless of their choice, because cho- they might come in irate and upset, who knows, but we get to choose what sort of relationship do we want to start to cultivate and build. Um, one of our Absolutely. former, yeah, one of our former guests on the show, Chip Huth, uh, he said something to me once. Um, he said, uh, you know, we're either building a relationship or destroying one. <laughs> mm, uh, there's yes. no, there's no in between. We're either building it or destroying it. And the choice is up to us, right? We mm-hmm. choose what, what we're going to be doing. They can choose what they want, but what are, what are we going to choose? Uh, and so it, it begged this question from, of, of, uh, that I want to ask you is what do we do in building a relationship or being in relationship to people when they're not easy to be in relationship to when, when they've maybe done us wrong, right. Or they made a bad choice or we don't like them. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. I mean, what, what is being in relationship in an I thou way look like with those people? That is such a good question. Actually, it's one of my favorite questions um, because maybe it's just my personality. I, I think I have a lot of patience um, for people, which is also probably why I, I am in the line of work that I am in. Um, but, you know, I feel like I will hear situations or scenarios or, um, you know, stories of people who feel like they have been wronged or mm. feel like, you know, if they did this to me, well, then it only makes sense for me to do this to them. Yeah. And I just, I love putting things into perspective for anyone that has that kind of mindset of, you know, why is it that because someone did this negative thing to you, you feel like you have to do this negative thing back to them? You know, why can't you choose to either ignore it, you know, choose to still be nice to them, despite the fact that maybe they've been mean to you, you know, Feeling like you have to be mean in return or feeling like you have to be negative in return is completely giving the other person the power. And, you know, when you're in these kind of weird dynamics of, well, they've done something wrong to me, what we kind of want is our power back. Mm-hmm. And and I think that when you feel this need to retaliate or this need to, you know, do whatever it is that you feel you're going to get justice for, you're giving them the power because that's exactly what they want. You know, yeah. that's, that, that is what this, this person that is doing something negative is kind of looking for. Usually a lot of these things come from a position of hurt. They come yeah. from a position of, you know, um, insecurity or whatever it might be. It's not usually because they're this great, jolly, happy person that they're doing these bad things. It usually comes from something a lot deeper that's yeah. not usually as happy or jolly or joyful. Um, so, so, you know, when we're faced with people that that maybe don't treat us as well as we would like to be treated or that, um, you know, have done something that we feel is wrong, um, I guess I just I like to say to, you know, take a step back and think about, you know, if, if the roles were reversed, would you really want them doing the same thing back to you? Is there a reason that maybe this thing happened, you know, is there an underlying issue that could have caused, and it's not to to justify their action, but in reverse, like, do you really want to have to justify your actions? Do you really want to have to feel, you know, that like, well, I did this because they did that. And and then you just get into this snowball effect of bad behavior Mm -hmm. um, instead of just cutting it off at the source, giving this person a little bit of grace and, and like being happy with your actions and being able to, to live with your actions. Um, so yeah, I, I always kind of chuckle when it's like, well, they did this to me. So I feel like I get to do this to them. It's like, okay, if that's, you know, if that's the power that you want to give them, sure. But if you want to reclaim your power, then just, you know, smile at them and keep going. I also don't think that ignoring people to an extent, you know, is, is all that wrong. I mean, if someone really has done something wrong to you, I don't feel like we have to be friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in that. 
Um, you know, we don't have to be best friends and go out to drinks and dinner with people that have done us wrong. Um, but also you don't have to do anything bad. To them. <laughs> like you could just, you can just let it be neutral. And sometimes letting things be neutral is actually a very positive relationship. So, yeah, you know, Chad, you remember dangerous love with Chad Ford earlier this year, mm-hmm. he talks about turning and Arbinger also talks about turning their chair, but Chad makes it a little bit more humanistic by actually mm-hmm. using real people, you know, in the analogy and not just chairs, but it's hard to turn, but we can turn yeah. and then turn from a distance, right? We And yes. so we don't have to be best friends. So this is a big, a big piece. Whenever I'm talking about building relationships, especially in conflict, we have in our minds, building a relationship means we have to have a, it's fun and we go for drinks and we hang mm-hmm. out, right? That's yes. <laughs> that's a type of relationship, right? And that's one way to build relationships. And we need to know, we need to know people and see them at a certain degree so that we know what sort of relationship is needed, right? Because what might mm-hmm. be needed for some people is that. It might be, hey, we go hang out. Other people, yes. the relationship that they need that they need from us and what it looks like means that we actually don't talk to each other anymore, right? right. <laughs> and that, yeah, sounds, that exactly. sounds kind of... That sounds kind of interesting, but it's paradoxical, right? Because there's some relationships, and especially in, you know, where there's a lot of hurt and trauma or abuse involved, mm-hmm. that the relationship is that you're not, you don't actually see each other anymore. You don't actually yeah. talk to each other anymore. But even when they're not there, I'm still in relationship to them. So there's a difference between I have a relationship with you versus we are in a in relationship. Now that's kind of philosophical. Mm-hmm. I hope listeners are sticking with me here. Sure. <laughs> uh, but I see there's a difference there, right? Because mm-hmm. having a relationship with a friend, that's, you know, that's a, a tangible thing that I can see and participate in every day, yes. right? Versus being in relationship with somebody who's wronged me uh, is different because I don't need to mm-hmm. be around them and see them and, and, but, but, the, be, the, the deeper thing that's going on here, right, is this turn. It's this way that I regard them as a it mm. or a thou. It's this hyphen. It's this pushing and resistance away from them or the acceptance of their humanity, right? And, and yep. the difference, we might think that it doesn't make a difference, but anybody who's, who's experienced relationships of hurt makes a huge difference when you're able to make that turn. Because I cannot see somebody and be around them in a resistant, resentful sort of a way. And how happy am I? Not very happy, right? Right, exactly. And it eats at me. It tears at me. But I cannot be around somebody and not associate myself with them anymore, not even like them, but have made that turn within my heart and my mind and how mm-hmm. I see. And it's freeing. It's, 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 it's liberating. I mean, for any of us that yes. have experienced it, it's so much more liberating because we don't have to hold on. It's the power that you talk about. They no longer have the power to choose how I feel, right? Because when I hold on to it, they choose. They are the purpose of my suffering. They are the reason of my pain. They are the reason of how I feel. And so therefore, I'm giving them the power to choose how I feel. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I think about when you say say the the word power. You know, we take our power back when we let go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the power paradox, right? We take our power back when we let go because now I'm back in control with my mm-hmm. with how I feel and and my my emotions with it. And so this, you know, this could get very deep and we can, you know, <laughs> and and I I enjoy these conversations to be honest because uh this is what happens in conflict and when you yep. s- studied conflict like 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 me and Ben, you know, mediating or been in the midst of it people are hurt and it's yes. hard to imagine that a relationship can be I thou when somebody's hurt you. Um, mm-hmm. but I believe that the people that are able to do that, um, are they, are they are, they are absolutely, they're incredible and they're change agents because they realize what change means. Right. And they realize yes. what turning means. They realize what, what I thou means. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and again, these are all just theoretical terms here, but they really, they get it. And so I, I love that you brought that up. And I love that you're excited mm-hmm. about the question of what's it like being in relationship when we don't want to be, <laughs> when we don't like them? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of people in our life and in the world that we don't like and we don't want yeah. to like. <laughs> um, yes. But 
we're still in relationship with with them towards them whether we like it or not yes and, exactly and, and the choice is is up to us so what what I, tell us a, let, let's expound on that just a little bit i mean what are your thoughts sure. on that relationship in relationship with with others and in, and environments around mm-hmm. us where we're never actually physically with those individuals so you know, we see this play out in the social media political arena mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where i there there obviously you know the people as people let's say somebody could make a post or whatever i don't know them right for some reason you know that i'm we follow each other i don't know and sure. there's what does relationship look like across the interweb with others because i can still objectify another through it all <laughs> they can still be less human and less real than me they can be an it to me but we're mm-hmm. but we're still oddly connected because look at me i'm right. i'm offended i'm bothered i'm thinking about it you know like i'm never truly alone i'm never truly the self doesn't exist in a vacuum <laughs> the self only <Yes>. exists <laughs> in relation to others so even when I think I'm alone and I'm, and I use this analogy all the time, I'm driving to work. Anything mm-hmm. that I think about is connected to other human beings. And so I'm, I just, yes. to imagine self in a vacuum doesn't, it's just impossible. It's, it's always in connection to others. So even when people are across the interweb and there's a relationship there and I still choose how I see them and that's still a mm-hmm. choice, even though I might never meet them. What impact does that have on my life and the relationships with people that I actually do impact on a day to day? Does all that make sense? Yeah. I want to dive. It does. That. Okay. No, it does. And I'll start actually before we. I even talk about you know online stuff. The fact, like the 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 example that you gave about driving in your car by yourself and how you know, like I have found myself even getting upset at people that you know cross the street when they're not supposed to, mm-hmm. or that cut me off in the car when you know, I'm driving or I don't know, something upsets me and and I'm by myself and it's like, okay, once again, you know, I have no idea who this person is. I have no idea what their day has been like. And yet they have changed my mindset for the next, however long it takes me to get out of this funk. And, you know, it's kind of that idea of like, okay, do I really want to be mad at them? Even though they have no idea who I am, I have no idea who they are. We're probably never going to run into each other again in this in this setting to where like I would know who they are. Um, and so it is that interesting thought of like we never really are alone. We're always in relationship to others. And it's, you know, the way that we choose to react to these things that could that can affect us. And, you know, maybe I'm on my way to work and now I'm in a bad mood when I get to work and I'm going to be short with my colleagues and it's just it's such a snowball uh-huh. instead of being like, OK, I don't I don't know what this person was like, what was going on through their mind. Maybe they didn't even see me and it has nothing to do with me at all. And it was just a complete accident. And now the next you know, half of my day, I'm going to be upset. Um, so <clears throat> I think about that all the time, too. Like, do I really want to let this one little instance totally affect my day instead of just, you know, giving grace and being like, OK. It, it was maybe it was just an accident and I will never know, but I'm going to choose to let it be an accident. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, going back to social media and that kind of stuff, um, I go back and forth all the time on whether or not I even want social media because of the Amen. exact things that you've mentioned, <laughs> you know, people that we don't know that are, we hear this all the time, you know, they're hiding behind their computer screen or hiding behind their keyboard that just really feel empowered to say things that would probably never say in real life. Um, you know, it's much more intimidating to say some of these nasty things to someone face to face than it's, it is it's anonymously. To, it's easier to objectify across the interweb. <laughs> yes, there you go. It's much easier to objectify across the, the interwebs, across your, you know, behind your screen. Mm-hmm. Um but on the flip side of that, I because I have traveled and because I've lived abroad and stuff, I have a lot of friends that I only communicate with really via social media. Um, so it is kind of that balance of, all right, I have people that I really, truly love. And this platform is a very powerful tool in helping me stay connected and, and fostering those really positive relationships. Um, and then on the other side of it, 
if I am on too long or if I scroll too deep, um, then, you know, you kind of start getting into those really long webs of, or the, the chains of like comments on these crazy things. I'm also, um, uh-huh. I hate to admit it, but I will. I'm a huge reality TV <laughs> person. I don't, I don't even know what to call myself. I love reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to admit it. But I do. And um, so one of my favorite shows that's happening right now is The Bachelorette. Mm. And um, I mean, I can get lost on threads for hours of people commenting back and forth about this one contestant or, you know, The Bachelorette herself or why someone did this or that or whatever. And, you know, I always think it's so interesting. I find it so entertaining to read through these comments but I always have to remind myself and also think about the fact that, you know, these people that are writing these comments, they have no idea who these people are. We see them for an hour on our TV screen yeah, and we that we know their ins and outs. We think we know their hopes, their dreams, what their fears, they should do. what they should do, who they should love, you know, all of this stuff and how they should react it in a certain scenario. Um, and people talk about it with such authority. Um, and I just think it's so interesting that, you know, that they, that people feel empowered to talk about others, um, you know, to objectify others, like you were saying in when like, really, they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, we don't know these people, we don't, whether it's a reality TV star or just some random person on the internet. I mean, we don't really know people through the internet like we could know them in person. And so I think we lose a lot of what makes relationships so important and so special is, you know, actually chatting and getting to know people and, you know, the ins and outs of someone's personality versus, you know, the picture that they posted on their vacation that they probably took 10 different versions of and edited and, um, you know, all these crazy different things. And we hear about this all the time, but I think we can't say it enough that, Reality TV isn't real. Instagram isn't real. Mm-hmm. Facebook isn't real. None of it is real. But when you say really hurtful things, those emotions are real for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and so I think we have to remember that and and be aware of how easy it is to lose sight of people's humanity on the computer screen um, or on our phone screen or on the TV screen. Um and, and realize that that's not really real relationship building, but it is real hurtful. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it is, it, it is. And I probably should have led with this, but, you know, to make a, a kind of a bold claim in saying that most of us suck at building relationships now because I love what you, yeah. what, you what you brought up because. I, I believe, and after everything that you just said, and I'll provide some context, but I, I believe that we create thick calluses uh, of uh, inauthenticity and transaction that, mm-hmm. that, you, as, uh, that cause a snowball. Now, you said snowball earlier, right? Because, and you started with when you, we go across the, <laughs> the, the street, somebody walks across the street <laughs> when we're trying to drive, right? And then that put, you know, we get in a bad mood and we make the decision to be in a bad mood. That person didn't put us in a bad mood. But then that, that quest leads us on a snowball effect of seeking justification in the way that we feel, right? And Mm -hmm. there's a psychological term that many of us have heard of, uh, cognitive dissonance, right? When we have the ideal self, like I have the ideal idea of who I should be versus the reality of how I actually am, you know? And so... I ideally think that Chris should be a good person. And and granted, there are some people that let go of their ideal self and just say, I'm okay with being a scumbag. But I would I would also disagree to say that deep down, they probably know, you know, uh, and we, I, we could get religious here or scientific, whatever, but we, they probably know and have a general sense of what's wrong and right. But that's another conversation. Yeah. So I want to go, go back to what I'm saying is, it, is there's this general way that that... I feel about myself, the ideal self, and if I'm not living up to it, for in this instance, I get mad that somebody crosses the street and I think horribly of them. Well, that sounds awful. Chris, why would, Chris, why would you think horribly of somebody else, you jerk, right? I don't want to feel <laughs> yeah. that way. Well, 
it's because they cut me off or they, you know, they did this or they did that. Mm -hmm. So I start this list of excuses and, and justification and the snowball effect happens when I show up to work. Like you said, I might be in a bad mood. And if I, even if I'm not in a bad mood, what are the first things out of my mouth and my first water cooler side conversation is oh, this, this jerk driving. I was yeah. driving and this jerk cut me off. And so I, I'm, I'm continuing my resentment towards this stranger that I don't know. But now I'm actually turning a strange, uh, uh, sorry, a colleague that I do know that I actually have a tangible relationship with. I'm turning them into a vehicle to get what I want from them. And they become this instrument to me to reinforce this false identity of myself, right? And, yep. and so that's what I start to create. And those are the calluses that I'm, I'm talking about, the calluses of inauthenticity. And I think that social media and media in general, if we're not thinking about it intentionally, um, like you are, you're seeing it, right? And, and there's a, you know, we can certainly enjoy and we should have entertainment, right? But if we're not conscious about it, I believe the same thing happens on social media. We start to objectify people and a stance that they have, political or otherwise, doesn't matter. They become objects to us. They become its to us. And then we go about living our life in a way where we're constantly seeking reinforcements of that, I, that self, that false identity of self, mm -hmm. right? Uh, of my ideal self trying to match it with the reality, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or excuse the reality, you know? Yes. Uh, and so then, then I have these calluses in my, all my relationships because even the people close to me, mm -hmm. wife's partner, kids, whatever, those start to become less and less authentic. And I honestly believe that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking pretty theoretical here, but I honestly believe that that happens. It happens in my own life where if I let something get at me or, you know, there's something that's happening in, in politics, whatever the case is, it starts to, I, I start to let that bleed into actual people that I do impact on a day to day. Mm -hmm. And, and, yes. and that's, that's damaging. I mean, think about it this way. And I use this analogy, you probably heard me use this analogy when I'm doing Arbinger workshops. But if I, if I get in a conflict with a colleague today and we, we, we hit, you know, we're not in where, you know, we, we don't like each other for a time being, we're disagreement. And if it turns to be unhealthy, it's an unhealthy conflict. What do, what's the first things out of my mouth when I go home and I start talking to Kenzie, my wife? <laughs> it's, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened today. This so-and-so, right? And, and so now my wife doesn't actually start to matter. She's not mattering to me anymore. All she is, is to me, all she is to me is to give me the justification and the excuses that I, that I'm craving. Mm -hmm. And I like to use that word craving to, yes. to fit this false identity of myself. Right. Uh, and so I love how you broke it all down because I think we do this so much. And this is why I say we suck at relationships because, uh, <laughs> because we, we forget the fact that we're always in relationship. You know, we're always in relationship to others, even if we can't see them or touch them. We're in relationship. And if we're not responsible, and I'm going back to where we started, if we don't have a sense of ownership and responsibility to those relationships, then it's going to be hard for us to have responsibility and ownership for the relationships that we can see, that we can feel, and that we can touch. Um, because we've created those calluses uh, of excuses and those calluses of false, and our false identity of ourselves. Um, and, uh, and I really, I believe all of that. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in others. I've seen it when I've worked in conflict and, and, it, and it becomes hard. And so my, my question for you, and we just have a, we just have a couple minutes left and this is what I would love to hear you kind of end on it, And you probably, if you have, if you have an awesome answer to this, that's like five words then I'm, I'll be very impressed. But what, <laughs> what is, what do we do about all this? I mean, how do we, how do we keep it simple enough you know, in building relationships in I, in an I thou way that we can start to see it have a change. Like I'll go back to what you said earlier, where it starts to make a change in our life and lives around us. I mean, how do we do that? Because it's a lot easier said than done. And in your experience, mm -hmm. how have you made it s something simple to where y you can conceptualize it and then execute on it day to day? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, I'll just even go off of like what I'm experiencing right now, being in a new city, um, having met completely new people. Um, I think what I 
am starting to realize is that, um, and, and even just my experience having traveled and having had to build, you know, new relationships and new friendships kind of every time that I would move somewhere new, um, is that it takes time. And I think relationship building isn't easy. Um, and I think because we live in an environment and we live in a world where everything should be fast and everything should be easy and we have the latest, greatest app that's going to streamline, mm. you know, everything that we do in our life from grocery shopping to TV watch. I mean, everything that you can imagine, we have some sort of app now that streamlines these processes. And, you know, the idea being that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter are supposed to help streamline relationship building. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's not the case at all. Um, and I think real, true, genuine relationship building is hard and it takes time. Um, and, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, like I kind of just said, we live in a world where we want things now, we want things yesterday. Um, and relationship building just doesn't really fit into that mold of like, okay, well, I met you today and now we're going to be best friends. And, you know, maybe every once in a while you meet someone and you do have that instant connection. Cool. But even then, like even with those people where you meet and it's like you instantly connect, you still have to take time to mm -hmm. get to know them, to get to know their past, to get to know, you know, what makes them happy, what makes them excited, what makes them angry. Um, and so I think being okay with the idea that this is something that if it matters to me is going to take time and I'm going to have to put real true intention behind, not just, well, okay, like, you know, let's sit and watch TV for an hour and then expect that our relationship is going to be 10 times better at the end of that hour, instead of like actually having communicated or like done something that fills our soul rather than like, well, we watched this really funny TV show and we both laughed. So therefore we're best friends, you yeah. know? Uh -huh. um, so I, yeah, just the idea that, that it takes time and that, Although it's something that could be a very joyful experience, it's also, at least for me, I'm a pretty introverted person. It's difficult um, to do, but it's always very rewarding. So just, yeah, take time. Yeah, I love that time is is kind of how, you know, you're, you're wrapping it up and time and energy, right? Because it takes time to act upon, you know, what happens and, and what we think of and what we feel and what we sense when we make the choice to really care mm -hmm. and to, to see and be in relationship in an I-thou way. It, it takes time for, from what it, it, what takes time is what comes from that, right? Yes. But what doesn't take yeah. time is to make that choice, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes. that, that takes some, um, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's easy, right? As Chad Ford would mm -hmm. say, the easy love, it's really easy to love great people that we get along with all the time, right? But right. when it when it, when it takes energy and it can be exhausting is when it's not easy um, to make mm -hmm. that choice. But that choice alone doesn't, doesn't have to take time, right? It can be moment True. to moment. Yes. It could be one instance, somebody doesn't matter to me, the next instant they do. And that can take just splits of seconds, right? Uh, but what does take time is is what follows when we make that choice, and that's that's I think like, that would be the argument if people if you know the cynic the cynic the cynical people out there that would say well I just I don't have the time I have X Y and Z to do right, but the argument would be well either way you're in relationship to to people around you and either way you have the same amount of time in a day, so one way one way to use your time is in an I thou way where people matter to you and you're being intentional in those relationships and you still mm -hmm. have to go throughout your day and do the things you have to do. The other way is that you don't worry about that and you just do the things you have to do. Right. But we're going to yeah. show what we're going to show up and we're going to go to work and we're going to go to our families and we're going to, we're going to do what we have to do either way, either right. way in life, no matter what. And so why yeah. not, why not do it in the way that we know is going to be more helpful and going to the organizational space lead to better outcomes and results in, in our personal mm -hmm. relationships that are going to lead to more authentic, meaningful relation like relationships and and families and and et cetera, and in communities that are going to lead to to better community outcomes. Why not do yep. use our time in the in a way that's going to lead to that fruit to the change 
that you talked about. Because either way, the same time is going to pass in a day, right? Yeah, um, exactly. And so that's how I what I have to remind myself of when I'm thinking of oh, I don't have the time to do this when it's connected to you know mm-hmm. building relationships. But it's also my argument to, for myself. But it's also the argument you know for when others say the same thing. There's just not enough time in the day. Well, we have the same time. <laughs> I have the same time that you yeah. have, Z, right? Um, I have the exactly. same time that you have in the day. We all have the same time. Um, and we all have relationships. Some people are just taking advantage of those relationships. In a, I mean that in a positive way, meaning that they're seeing and they're caring. And I'll, I'll end, with, I'll end with, with this and any final comments that you have. You know, uh, I'll end with this and then uh, a quick question for listeners. But the grant study from Harvard, and I think I shared this on one of our recent podcasts, actually, but the grant study, that's what they found. It's one of the longest lasting um, res- you know, research projects that's been going on decades. And they've studied people, you know, they started in the Boston area and they started with young men when they were kids. And now it's expanded to those young men, those, those men, those, those individuals, spouses and kids and everything. But it started with these young men and they tracked them from childhood all the way to adulthood and beyond. And they're still tracking, again, the, the relatives of these individuals because they've all, most of them have deceased. And what they were trying to find was what makes a successful life, what makes people successful. And mm. what, what they found, though, and a lot of these kids, by the way, some of them were in poverty and some of them were in, you know, in wealth. And what they found was that some that were in poverty would rise to wealth and vice versa, some that were in wealth. At the beginning, would go into poverty. Some became drug addicts. Some became actors. Some, there was a well, there was a president of the United States in 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 there, right? That became a president. I mean, all these different walks of life, and there was no key indicator on what makes somebody successful in life, right? But the only <laughs> thing that they pulled from the the study that they're continuing to dive into even more intentionally is that the people that had l- like strong connections and relationships with people with mm. others in their life were happier and healthier and lived longer. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that, I mean, if that, if that doesn't tell us a strong argument of why spending time in our relationships is so important, then I don't know what else does. It leads to ha- happiness and healthier, longer lasting lives. I mean, exactly. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's obviously worth it. It's hard, but it's worth it. And so my question that I'd like to give to listeners, anybody listening is, you know, if evaluate your relationships right now and think about, are they an I-it relationship or are they an I-thou relationship? And how do you need to start seeing time differently to make them I-thou, right? Think about that. That's my question to everybody, okay? Uh, think about your relationships, evaluate them. Are they I-it? Are they I-thou? And how do you need to start seeing time differently to make them more I-thou that leads to, to change? Um, so... Z, what are your final thoughts? Wrap us up here. Well, I guess my final thoughts, one last thing that I kind of thought about as you were, you're talking in that study made me think about, um, you know, there was a quick story. There was a a meeting that I went to when I was still working with SLF. And in my mind, it was going to be a quick 20, 30 minute um, meeting just to kind of smooth over um, a relationship that had kind of been bruised a little bit from some things that happened not to not go into any detail, but basically that was what it was about was just to kind of go in, give my side of the situation and Mm. call it a day. Um, I had no intention of like going in and and being mean or disrespectful. I just kind of wanted to give my perspective and then, and then wash my hands of it and be done. Mm -hmm. Um, it ended up being a three hour meeting. We, um, got to really talk about a lot of things that at the end of this meeting had absolutely nothing to do with what we like started talking about in the first place. Um, and it actually ended up blossoming into a a beautiful friendship that, um, you know, I was really happy about, um, that, you know, somebody that I now really, not that I didn't before, I really respected this person before, but I respected them even more after this. And, and I think we got to know each other on a much deeper level. Um, And so I realized in that moment, you know, every hour that passed was, I had to ask myself, okay, what's more important right now, this person or the emails that I have to send, Mm -hmm. what's more important, this person or, um, you know, the, the write-up that I have to do, what's more important. And so I think also taking the time to prioritize people in our lives versus some of the things that society deems important, like 
being super busy, overworking, you know, all these different things that make us look successful. Um, but prioritizing people, prioritizing our relationships, I, I think that that's life-changing. And I mean, it was for me in this example. Um, and, and I will always carry that with me. And not to say that, you know, we shouldn't do work, but I really do think that sometimes taking that three-hour meeting with somebody is work that, you know, ultimately ends up leading to even greater things. Um, so just, you know, prioritize people, I guess would be my, my parting thought. Yeah. Time and prioritizing people. And that's a great story to, to end with. Um, a lot to think about, you know, listeners, anybody tuning in, I hope that, that you were able to find the nuggets and the takeaways that you needed. There's, there's definitely a lot packed in here. And Z, I just want to Thank you. It's really good to to see you. It's been a you know few months since you you moved. Um, it's awesome to see you. And part of me is like, hey, I'll see you around, <laughs> but I won't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's kind of sad. Uh, I know. Uh, so uh, I hope that we can cross paths, and I hope that you know uh, I I believe we're both you know young in our careers, and I hope that we can find opportunities down the road to collaborate and and uh, to stay connected. But uh, I. I I, I respect you and admire you, uh, and so I, I wish you the best in, in what you're doing in San Diego, and I hope to stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me, and yes, it's also always a pleasure to, to get to talk to you and work with you, so hopefully our paths will cross soon. Awesome. Well, thanks, Z, and uh, for listeners, thanks for tuning in, and hope you will come back and listen to our other episodes and, and share what you what you hear. So with that, be safe and take care.